0: Almost live from a library near you, this is Hellion's Talks, starring The Masked Library, Kevin Hellion. He is the lauder of the long box, the hero of the hall, and he's on a mission to bag and board them all. Now the Retro Network proudly presents a talk show of comic proportions. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the Hellions Talks Podcast. My name is Kevin, I am your host, and I am flying solo today because it's an anniversary episode. No, it is not the anniversary of this show or the masterlibrary.com blog or the former Team Hellions defunct and absorbed into Masked Library. No, no, no. So Thursday, this past Thursday, was March 17th, and it was a big day in wrestling history. Lots of big stuff happens in wrestling history throughout the year. Throughout the years. You know what I mean. But I had two on the same date that I was at live. And I thought that was very interesting. They're also two very famous nights in wrestling history as well. So I thought for this week's show, um, especially, and I was traveling this weekend as well, so I didn't get time to uh, do certain other things, but I thought I would do uh, a first-person perspective of these events. So the first one was March 17th, 1997, episode of Monday Night Raw live in Syracuse, New York. So at the time I was at a community college, I was interning at a radio station. I had a girlfriend and uh, gosh, I think we broke up like probably within the a uh, few months after this, if I had to guess or remember. Um, I was also friends with uh, Treats there, who I did the House Show podcast with, and specifically I was already friends with his brother and and a certain crew then, and I believe somehow I was uh, invited to go along with them to Monday Night Raw in Syracuse. Uh, So we all did a trip down Route 81, headed to the show, Um, we got to do a uh, small little autograph there for a bit, Um, and uh, I can't find the photo, I was looking through everything, and I I have another box to check through for a different upcoming project that I'll tell people about later, Um, but I know there's some photos of me being a very, very awkward looking kid, hadn't grown into my own body or my own face yet, didn't know what to do with my hands, Uh, I was a lanky, lanky build, but pudgy stomach? (laughs) <laughs> six foot, six foot one, and so I, I just every single picture of me from that time is super awkward in my mind. But uh, we met, I believe, at this show. Uh, Mark Mero came in to you know do pictures with the fans. Uh, Savio Vega and Road Dog Jesse James. I believe this was all at the same show. Uh, at least that's my memories of it. Went out to our seats, and uh, I still have the recording. Um, I recorded it, had someone, maybe my mom, I had some, I definitely had someone record it that evening uh, so I could watch it the next day, and where we were was kind of like right below where the hard camera is, so if I stood up and put my finger up in the air, you could see my finger showing up at the very bottom of the screen, but I was like, that's my finger, I'd know my finger anywhere. I regret saying that, too. Um, It was not my first WWE show. However, it was my first televised show. And house shows can be a lot of fun, but a televised show, especially a televised show at this time, was different. I've been to a couple SmackDowns lately, um, you know, uh, televised ones. And the downtime now is absurd. For the commercial breaks, we do an entrance, everyone just hangs out, we do a commercial break, we do highlight videos, we do previously on SmackDown, previously on Raw, all that stuff. The downtime during a uh, TV taping now is horrible. So, so bad. It just, it really takes you out of it a lot, too. But at this time, it, uh, my memories are that it kept going and it was action-packed and... A match ended, and you kind of, you know, we're all familiar with the reset, the ring announcer will come back out, whoever lost the match will slowly leave, and that seemed to take place during the commercial breaks, and it made sense, and then we're on to the next thing. Um, It was also a taping for Shotgun Saturday Night at the same time, so that was our, like, dark match kind of stuff. Um, The Shotgun Saturday Night, I have not, I'm sure it's out there somewhere online, I've not been able to find it. But the by the time that aired, because it aired the following Saturday, it was just highlights of Raw for a lot of that episode. Um, apparently, like that's the sad thing. A lot of the stuff I remember vividly, and a lot of the matches I think. Oh wait, I saw I saw him wrestle. I saw that. I, I don't remember that. So, uh, Blackjack Bretshaw fought Henry Godwin. I don't remember that at all. The Headbangers and Furnace and LaFon came running out too. I don't remember this. Uh, Goldust and Tony DeVito fought. I don't remember that either. Uh, off to Raw, there was something about um, wrestling coming back to New Jersey. I don't remember this. I do remember Legion of Doom against Alvio Vega and Crush. It was part of the Nation thing. I was very excited to see Legion of Doom live. Uh, honestly, it might be my only time I ever saw them live too. Uh, so experiencing, you know, the Road Warrior pop, because especially it was this official start of Raw, we were seeing Legion of Doom, you know, th- we got to see them beat people up and everything, good fun time, they always look great, and this was a real cross-section of fans, um, so I would have been, 97, so I would have been 19, people, my friends were a little bit younger, um, we, you know, people ha- were there with like their dads, their moms, whatever, so it was a good cross-section, but um, Hunter Hercs Helmsley, not yet Triple H, was on there against Flash Funk. I don't remember that, and apparently this was the first time China was called China as well. Did not realize that. I do remember the Minis match. Mini Goldust and Masquerita Sagrada Jr. uh, defeated Mini Vader and Mini Mankind. I do remember that. I also remember, at the time, not being able to pronounce or remember the name Masquerita Sagrada Jr., so, like I said, I was interning at a radio station at the time. They all knew I was going to the show. I was too tired Tuesday morning to wake up at, like, 5, 6 in the morning, whatever it was, to go to the radio station to help out with the morning show. So, on Wednesday, I went in to just talk about, you know, the wrestling show. Um, and, and talked about it in a very uh, matter-of-fact way. I wasn't talking about personal stories with it at all. I wasn't mentioning... You know, uh, getting autographs, meeting people who I went with, fun stuff. I was just like, Hunter Sumsley defeated Flash Funk in the next match. Like, just very boring and monotone. So, for anyone that doesn't like the show now, geez, this is better, sadly. I've improved over the years uh sultan came out with iron Sheik and bob Backlund. i do remember this because it was such an odd pairing of iron Sheik and bob Backlund being there what's going on with sultan why are they pushing him so much they think he's gonna be champion like we were really confused by it he defeated mike bell mike bell i've honestly seen well at the time i saw him a lot of times <laughs> which was very funny uh but he just seemed to always be like uh, a jobber in New York State shows. I don't know if he lived in the area or whatever, but a lot of WWF shows I went to, he was always there as a enhancement talent. Uh, Rocky, my view was on commentary. Tony Atlas came out uh, to prevent Rock from fighting Sultan. Um, I'm trying to remember the time frame. We knew who Tony Atlas is, but I don't know if we knew certain things about Tony Atlas, specifically the MTV True Life, I'm a Pro Wrestler. Guessing by the fact that this is the first time they called China China, I'm and this is not quite Attitude Era yet either. I'm pretty sure the MTV special came later. Some of the Tony Atlas stuff, Rapid Delivery, Rory Fox, all that fun stuff from that little special was later. So Tony Atlas was just a blast from the past, and that's all we knew of him at the time. Uh, let's see here. Next up, um, Davy Boy Smith defeated Vader. If you asked me I would not have remembered I saw Vader and I'm I I know I've seen Davey Boy Smith a couple times all kind of blurred into one but I would not have remembered I saw Vader however this is Vader at the time teaming up with Mankind they really didn't have a plan with him know what to do with him nothing uh looking back I'm I'm upset with a lot of people for Vader's run in WWF I was always a big fan of him and it just Never happened for him there, and it, it's upsetting. And he should have gone into Hall of Fame while he was still alive and, and could have uh, enjoyed it and appreciated it himself. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't remember this. Billy Gunn defeats Aaron Ferguson with an arm bar, and then Ken Shamrock comes out and Shamrock and Billy Gunn. What in the hell? Like, so Billy Gunn doing submissions and challenging Ken Shamrock. Like, man, they really just did not know what to do with Billy Gunn until they fell into the new age outlaws gimmick like if he did not fall into the outlaws he wouldn't be in AEW today and his kids wouldn't be either like fall, stumbling into that tag team saved his career for damn sure okay the most iconic part of the evening though however is bret hart against psycho sid in a steel cage match And this is very famous, because after Bret loses, he flips out. A lot of people consider this the start of his heel turn, which was made official a couple weeks later at WrestleMania. But this was just like, okay, Bret Hart snapped. What's going on? And, hey kids, we didn't have cell phones back in 1997. Okay? So... We were not sure what made it on air and what didn't. We had no clue. So all we know is Brett lost the match. Uh, We come back from commercial or or something, you know, like it kind of went dark and went bright again in the arena. They're taking part of the cage. It was the big blue cage at the time still. Vince comes in to talk to Brett, start going back and forth. Vince says you're frustrated, and Brett comes back with the frustrated isn't the goddamn word for it. This is bullshit. Swears a couple more times. And we honestly thought that it was not on TV. We did not think that stuff was on TV. We thought they are still in a commercial break, and when they came back, maybe that would air, but it would be censored. But then we also got wondering, hey, the ECW stuff has happened at this point, the ECW invasion of Raw. ECW gets away with a lot more. Totally different show. You know, so of course they get you know, they're they're under their own rules for things. So is WWE trying to be ECW in this way? Are they are they gonna push that envelope? Are they gonna swear? Are this so they can get more violent, more sexy, whatever. And we're debating this based on Brett. Like, those of us in the arena really unsure of what's going on there. So, but still, at the time, thinking, well, it's on USA and it's against Nitro and everything. So, of course, they, he didn't swear. And by the time I got back from the show, like, I went to bed. Um, I still went to college to school the next morning. I didn't do the radio, but I still went to school. And it was early internet. I did not have internet at home yet. But uh, the college had internet, so I hopped on, and that's when I found out, pre-YouTube too, so I couldn't see clips of it, that's when I found out that all the swearing made it on the show. We're like, oh my god, I can't believe that that happened, don't they have a delay or whatever? Uh, you know, I've come to find out later, they did have a delay later on, USA Network approved of Bret Hart swearing once, but not multiple times, it's a whole thing that happened behind the scenes for it all, but I ended up uh, having, like I said, having my own tape, rewatching it. And it is still in my collection somewhere. And in 2022, I still have a VCR hooked up to my high-definition TV. So I can watch this. And I should probably watch this unedited live version of it. Unlike uh, whatever Peacock has up. But this also requires me to find the tapes. I have... Like... When I rebranded the blog, it's called Masked Library for a reason. I consider my home, my collections and stuff to be a library of things that a lot of people say, why do you have this? This is garbage. What's the point of saving it? But, you know what? Everything in every form of media at some point has been called garbage and had people saying, why are you keeping it? Comics have almost disappeared multiple times. A lot of TV shows and movies are gone because people would play it once and then tape over it, or, you know, oh, film is expensive, let's just reuse it. You know, tapes are expensive, let's just reuse them. So we have lots of things that are gone. Now, oh, let's let's throw these pictures, these magazines, these old newspapers, whatever, and... At some point between the next day and decades later, people realize, oh, jeez, if only we still had that. So, yeah, me having old wrestling tapes and old comics, and I have, like, comic retailer magazines buried in here. What does it matter? I don't know. I don't know what it matters yet. But I'm of the belief that there's something interesting within them. It might just be an interesting article for the site. It might be historically relevant later on i don't know it's up to time to decide when it is and and honestly for some of it because i'm, I'm in my 40s so there's a question of uh, legacy and enduring and all is there a chance that when i'm gone my my kid my descendants whoever just throws it all in the trash sadly yeah <laughs> there's a chance of that my my quote life's work but maybe there's a chance that like my kid's into stuff, or he has a kid later that's into things. Or somehow, through me, it falls into the right hands for someone else to be able to do something with it. You think of people discovering old albums, uh, lost movies, lost episodes of Doctor Who, you know, something like that. These things fell through multiple hands to arrive at the point of someone discovering it who can actually do something with it. So even if I'm not the person to do something with this stuff, maybe I'm the person that has to have it so it gets to the correct person next. Maybe that's overinflated sense of ego. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, we were very shocked by everything happening with Bret Hart that evening. Um, did not know what was coming, what was meant by it, how much made air. Um, was there something going on in Nitro? Like, did not know. And looking back at WrestleMania 13 and Add to Adair and everything, obviously this is the beginning of so much. And it's, it's fun that we were there for the start of it. A um, couple dark match things here, too, quickly. Uh, we had Aldo Montoya defeat Spellbinder. And I, you know, people might mock me or whatever. I really thought Spellbinder was going to end up being something. I think the idea of a magician doing sleight of hand and tricks in the ring could really be something. I, I think if you have someone that's a good enough magician to that it can flow naturally while wrestling, that could be a fun gimmick. I'm not saying it's world title level, but I think it could be a fun gimmick that people would want to see. And I really thought Spellbinder, with some of the stuff that he was doing, could have been something. Time has told me to know. Uh, Dark match main event was Undertaker, Goldust, and Ahmed Johnson against Fruke, Savio Vega, and Crush. And really, after the Bret, it, it was kind of lackluster. I was just like, oh, okay. Like, we just saw a cage match and swearing and Vince get pushed down and, you know, uh, 19. But being being kids at the time, really, just then finding out, oh, Vince is actually the owner. You know, and not, not just then that night. But, you know, we grew up thinking of Vince as the commentator, not realizing he's the owner of the company. All of that was so interesting and, and weird and and unique and original and we hadn't seen it before, that that main event was just like, uh, well, okay, cause great respect for Ron Simmons, but we didn't give a shit about Farouk at the time. You know, we we'd already seen Goldus in a Dark Match, Amma Johnson's Amma Johnson, you know. And Undertaker was cool, but he still the Mystique still wasn't the same, though, in a way. And you had uh, Undertaker, Sid, like, uh, also there was all these all this fights going on um, after the cage match, too, leading into this dark match. And it was chaotic, it was interesting, but really, it, it's the booking of a show. After seeing the angle with Brett, that's all we cared about. That's all we could talk about or think about. So the dark match kind of fell flat. And if you're listening to this and you're a wrestling fan, we've all been to shows where, you know, it seems like a couple matches should have been flipped around. Like, alright, you you had your crowd up at this peak, and then you followed it up with this, which just killed the crowd. So then the match after that has to spend most of their match building the crowd back up to where they already were. And, you know, there, there should be ebbs and flows and, and rest and all, but this was just you know we didn't have the energy after the cage match for it um now funny thing because of where we were like i said in that back row kind of right below the hard camera <clears throat> the path to get to your seats was right behind us so a little walkway and then the first set of raised up seats leading up to like the first run of uh of bleachers or tiered or whatever and then the next level so we're we're right there um and I, I look behind, and so hard cameras there and production and, you know, all the equipment, everything's right there. And someone's sitting there, and I go, I recognize that person. I've seen him on WWF Livewire. That's WWF Magazine writer Vic Venom. I'm going to go say hi and get an autograph. So some of the other guys realized who it was. We all went over. Now, for those of you that don't know, Vic Venom was the pen name and, and original gimmick there for Vince Russo who was on his way to begin booking WWF given credit for some of the crazy uh, memorable ideas from the Attitude era and then he went over to WCW and didn't have Vince McMahon as an editor for his ideas and we discovered that he really needs an editor, really needs someone to help him focus on things (laughs) and he didn't have that anymore and that's why wwf attitude area it's considered one thing and wcw late 90s early 2000s until early 2000 until it died is considered something else <laughs> but went up to him and we're just talking and he said oh do you guys got any questions and it was random you know most of us were random questions about the night and i was like screw it this is still like we don't acknowledged the competition, you know, we're not acknowledging that Razor and, you know, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall left. Like, there's so much stuff we're not talking about here and pretending this other national company doesn't exist. So I flat out said to Vic Venom slash Vince Russo, said, who do you think is the best guy not in WWF right now? And I said, don't say that you don't know because you don't watch anything other than WWF, which is kind of ballsy for a 19-year-old wrestling mark. And he said, no, I'm not going to lie to you. I absolutely watch other wrestling shows. That's part of my job, which was very interesting for him to say, I thought. You know, flat so out saying, like, we do keep an eye on competition. We might, we're might, we not going to talk about them all the time on the show, but absolutely we have people in our company that are watching what they're doing and keeping an eye on talent that aren't in WWF. So the interesting thing looking back, March 17, 1997, Vince Russo said that the best person not in WWF at the time is Chris Benoit. Oh, and we didn't know what was going to happen. But looking back it is interesting for me. All right, let's fast forward here to March 17th, 2002, SkyDome in Toronto, WrestleMania X8. So, memories of this one what have and, and again, this is one that like I mean, there's one match that we all remember. And other than that, I'm like, okay, I kind of remember some stuff. I kind of remember this a little bit. But it's also been 20 years. So a lot's blurred. Um, it was... Well, it must have been Christmas. Uh, so the educator, my other former co-host there for the house show, uh, his birthday is... Towards the end of December, and of course, there's Christmas. So a lot of times, he gets screwed over on pre- you know presents when he was growing up. Though this counts for both. No, it doesn't count for both. You know, if I was born in March, May, whatever, some other month, I would get presents then, and then I'd get presents now for Christmas instead of getting one run of it, and less money's being spent on me. And when you're a kid, that's important. That that you know, you want to feel like you get a real birthday. And you want to feel like you get a real Christmas. So. Because of that, and, and it, it's been known in, in his family, in my family, and now in his wife's family and all, like, a lot of us will try to really make an effort for his birthday is his birthday and Christmas is Christmas. Like, we'll really try to do stuff. So I do not remember if this was a birthday present or a Christmas present. I'm going to guess a birthday because I was there and his fiancée, I don't think they're married yet, pretty sure fiance at the time was there. So we were at her parents' house. Um, She's like, oh, won't you have Kevin come up? We'll do your birthday. We'll do presents, cake, food. You know, Kevin will hang out. I was like, oh yeah, sure. So she surprises him with two tickets to WrestleMania in Toronto, because us living in upstate New York, just going to Toronto. uh, Even in 2002, so post-9-11, we were not quite in a post-9-11 world, if that makes sense. Like, clearly, chronologically we were, but as far as certain things that uh, were changed for security measures and travel and stuff, we weren't there yet. So uh, she opens up and there's two tickets, WrestleMania, and he's all excited for the two of them going and everything. And she says, well, what if I couldn't go? Who would you want to go with you? And he's like, well, obviously Kevin. And they didn't just say that because I wasn't there or because I was there. Like he very much, um, said it because he meant it, you know, that is who he would want to go with him. So she pulls out a third ticket, by the way, Kevin can go too. He's so excited. Three of us going. Now the problem was she was not able to get three tickets together. Two were together. One was not, they were on the same level, but like probably 20, 30 seats in between, maybe more. So we were going to bounce. We were going to shift it and all. And I'm like, I'm not worried about it. Oh, I'll go. I'll watch a match. I'll come over. I'll say hi. You know, we'll take breaks. I'll be in the arena. I'll be experiencing it as well. But I'm not worried about it. For some reason, Maddie Treat's there. His brother got tickets for Mania. All three of his were together. But then he decided not to go. And I don't remember why. um, But for some reason, he's like, no, I'm not going to go. Something else coming up in life or, or work or whatever. He ended up not going. So what I did is I took his tickets, paper tickets at the time, I took his tickets, we used those three to all sit together, and I sold our original three not together. And then gave him the money for those tickets, and that's how we ended up working this out. Um, He will never listen to it. I'm aware Educator doesn't listen to my own podcast, and his wife will never listen to it either. But I, God, I don't even remember where I was working at the time in 2002, I think. I think I was at TJ Maxx, maybe. Not entirely sure, but that's my best guess. I also was terrible with money. I would get paid on Friday, I would be broke by Saturday. So Friday I'd get paid, and then I'd go and I'd buy, like, DVDs and CDs, and I'd go to a movie, and I'd buy my comics, and I'd go out to dinner, and I'd buy drinks and stuff like that. And then Saturday I'm like, I have no money. (laughs) I did this all the time. So I started thinking, oh, crap, WrestleMania's coming up, I probably need some money for it. So I had a very specific budget for WrestleMania. I had, here's how much I can spend on food, here's how much I could spend on merchandise, that's it. And that's all the money I have. So what killed me, first First moment down there. Uh, I, I went to um, where Educated and his wife were living. Uh, they were living in a different city at the time. And I went uh, like a day early, two days early, and I was just going to like stay with them for a night. So I was already with them when we got up early to head to WrestleMania. So I'm there and he goes, I'm hungry. You want to get something to eat? I was like, well, I got, like, dinner money. You know, is it dinner? He goes, yeah, yeah, it's dinner. It's so, like, I'm on a diet, so don't tell my my fiancé there that we already ate. And then uh, she'll just make, like, uh, you know, something at home. You know, we'll just make something in the oven and we'll eat that. But I'm really hungry now. I was like, oh, I'm kind of hungry, too. I can eat twice. But pay for one meal. No, no, no. Do that. Go out. Pay for that meal. She comes home and says, oh, let's all go, go out to eat. So now I'm paying for a second meal... And I wasn't planning on either. I'm like, my money's fucking going already here. Um, And I'm starting to freak out. So at Mania, I think the only thing I bought, I'm mostly sure, I think I bought a program. And that was like it. That was all the money I had. I don't think I bought a drink for the entire time there because I didn't have the money for that. Um, I think we got like a pizza pizza when we were going through Toronto because it's on every other corner you know, but, like, I had to be so careful with it, like, I, I had no money, I had to be so careful, and then what really ended up getting me was, uh, jumping ahead a little bit, when we came back, uh, we went back to where they were living, and then I had to get a ride back to my town, and, uh, It didn't line up, like we didn't get back in time for me to take a bus, which I already had bus money, that was set aside still. We didn't get back in time for me to take a bus, so I actually had to borrow money to take a cab, because now the two of them were at school or work or whatever. So no one could take me to the bus station, so I had to take a cab to the bus station, take a bus all the way home. Oh, it was a mess. No, no, I did not have a car at the time. Um, But anyways, we... Went up to we went up through Toronto, went through, you know, the border, no problem, got to the hotel. WrestleMania's already like it's it's clearly WrestleMania's happening. Uh everyone wearing wrestling t shirts, everyone excited for it, uh banners up all over town. And we didn't have like all the indie shows around. I'm sure there was probably an indie show that night, but it wasn't to the level it is now. You look at the schedule for Dallas coming up for WrestleMania this year, it's crazy. I'm already I, I'm already planning stuff I'm watching Friday, Saturday morning, Saturday nights mania, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights WrestleMania. The stuff I'm going to watch for the following week on, you know, taped, not live anymore. So much stuff. But at the time we're going through Toronto, um, I had uh, been inspired by a music video by Canadian artists. Um, I think it was Matthew Goodband song. But uh, they steal a lawn gnome from someone's yard and then take the lawn gnome on tour with them and then bring it back like months later with all the pictures of them on tour. Silly little thing. So because uh, Treats' brother wasn't going to me and I had his tickets, I also stole his um, cherished uh, stuffed animal, which I think was uh, was Smokey from University of Tennessee, their little mascot thing. Um, Or did I take a gnome? I think maybe I tried to take Smokey and I took a, a stuffed gnome of their moms and said, I don't know. Either way, point is, I took some little trinky, trinket tchotchke bullshit thing from their house, took it to Canada with us, and I took pictures of it all over Canada with us. So it's in the car, it's going over the border, it's it, posing in Toronto, it's in the hotel. And I go into Much Music, which was Canadians Canada's version of MTV, which aired the video in question, and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, well, I want to recreate the video that your channel plays, like, constantly. No idea what you're talking about. So eventually, I was able to, uh, go ahead and get them, um, to let me take a picture inside, like, the vestibule, like, the little entranceway thing there. And again, these pictures are somewhere God knows where. (laughs) So, we went to Access that year. Loads of fun. Uh looks like they're not doing it this year, but if they do, like, it was it was actually really fun. So, taking uh, pictures of all the stuff, you know, uh, all cars that were destroyed. Um, they had uh, interviews and matches there. So, they're like, hey, we're going to have a match for uh, some guys training in OVW. We're like, yeah, cool, let's watch. Freaking Brock Lesnar comes out. And he debuted, I think, the next night on Raw. But... Half the people never seen him before. I was internet and wrestling obsessed, so I knew who he was for OVW stuff. So you got, like, maybe 100 people that are watching the matches that aren't doing other stuff at Access. And here comes Brock Lester, like, just right in front of us. So, so you know, like, what a cool memory looking back. And he debuted the next night on Raw. Um, they had at Access, you could call a match and, like, I don't know, Michael Cole, Taz, whoever would sit next to you and call the match. I stood in line. I was one of the last people in line. They stopped doing it for the night. So I was like, well, I'm still in line. I still want to do it. So I was allowed to go ahead and do it still, though. Uh, So I called it myself. I do still have that videotape uh, as well of me calling a match on my own. Uh, I did take a picture uh, of myself with Stacey Keebler's butt. So I was able to do that. Uh, not her actual butt, but the uh, mold, the sculpture, the statue, whatever, of her booty. Um, met Les Thatcher there. I was just walking around and uh, they had like a balcony area and I was cutting across and he's up there just looking at the crowd. So him and I small talked a good five, ten minutes. Re- I sound like I was one of the few people that recognized him the whole day. So he enjoyed being recognized and just small talking about indie wrestling and training and stuff. Uh, so then we went to the actual show. Uh, I still remember to this day, all of us standing outside of Skydome, getting ready to go in. Plane flies overhead. People are getting scared. Oh, God, there's planes overhead. What you know? Nine Eleven just happened. What are we going to do? And I was like, we're in Canada. No one hates Canada. <laughs> They're not being attacked. All the confidence in the world. Um, going to Mania, we were all the way up. We couldn't have been higher up. We are so high up for any firework thing I saw the vents at the top of the building open up to let the smoke from the fireworks out. And I could feel the breeze coming back into the building. We had that freaking eye up. So a lot of it, like, I remember seeing, and, you know, you're looking at the, the screens airing the action. You're looking into the ring, and it really showcased, like, why, you know, some people say wrestling's cartoony and overdone because, you know, oh, they... You know, they hit people in such an exaggerated way. Yeah, but us all the way up top there could still see it and still know what's going on. Like, that's the whole point of why you do stuff like that. But a lot of it, I just... Again, there was so much going on, and it's been 20 years. Like, I remember the show starting and being excited. Um, For some reason, I remember Christian's entrance when he had uh, all the sparkle... um, the sparkler firework kind of things just fall and cascade down around him uh i remember enjoying the running around for the hardcore title stuff even though so little of it was actually in front of the crowd but i just remember enjoying it uh weirdly i remember enjoying um saliva playing the dudley boys out because stacy Keibler was dancing <laughs> and stacy Keibler was you know height of her powers attractiveness then uh, and that was one of the first things I wanted to see when I watched the pay-per-view. I was like, oh, I want to see Stacy Keebler dance and get a good view of it. Um, weird thing, and I actually did rewatch this recently to try to find it. I remember in the Undertaker-Ric Flair match that they had this lead pipe thing, and the lead pipe rolled away from them. And they went for the next spot, and the lead pipe wasn't there. It's like, oh shit, where'd it go? And it had rolled outside the ring, but even from as high up as we were, we could see the pipe roll out of the ring, which was very interesting. I was like, I'm seeing a pipe, which is probably, what, a foot long, foot and a half long, but we're seeing it from all the way up there. I'm like, this is kind of interesting with, uh, you know, the darkness of the lead pipe, the, the white, light gray of the canvas, and we're still seeing these things. And it was giving me, like, an appreciation for why wrestling does what it does so even the people in the cheap seats can see it and enjoy the show and of course the most memorable and not even the main event but it was just the most memorable thing was Rock against Hogan and that is that's like one of the first times in my life where I knew I was a part of something bigger than just like a moment like part of history in a way. Like something that's bigger than any of us there. There was a chill in the air. You could feel the crowd chanting Hogan and then a wave chanting Rock. And then it it kept alternating back and forth. You could just notice uh, people hanging on every single move in the match. And the two of them just knowing exactly what the hell they're doing and how to control a crowd. Milking it for all it's worth. And it was just like, we all knew we were part of something that transcended that night, transcended wrestling, transcended all of us being there. But because we were there, it's even more impactful. And I don't, like, alright, I was at that Raw, I was part of a match that's in wrestling history of, of Bret Hart after a cage match. Um, I've been to other shows, and I, I think, and it's not even the same, I'm not saying it is... But I think one of the next closest moments was uh, Summer Slam in Brooklyn when Becky hit Charlotte in theory to turn heel, but actually became you know the biggest babyface and star in the company. It is not Rock Hogan level. I'm not saying it is, but the pop and the explosion and the cheer and the moment when she slapped Charlotte and beat her up. We all like the whole crowd was at one cheering Becky on, and the excitement of seeing something that had built up and we had wanted to see for so long, and it's not even Rock Hogan, but it was okay. I was there for a moment. I was there for something bigger. Um, and it's like you never know when that's going to happen. I've been to Raws and Smackdowns. I've been to tons of indie shows. You know, I've I've been to shows. And those huge, iconic moments are not every show, of course. But to have one of them, especially Rock Hogan, is just crazy. And honestly, talking about booking of the show like I did for uh, Raw, I don't remember the Triple h Chris Jericho match. Like, I do not remember it. And I don't remember the women's match either there, because Rock and Hogan was just like, we're exhausted that was such a huge match, so much happening, so interesting, and just don't remember stuff after that one. Um, but it's still, like, I got to see these things with friends, with with friends that I still, you know, are in contact with to today. One of them just called, so I gotta call and see what's up. Um, I think it's part of why I want to do other stuff with them. Like, we're gonna most likely go to a wrestling show next month all together, and hang out, maybe there'll be a a great moment there, maybe there'll be something cool maybe it'll just be a fun night for all of us maybe I'll remember the entire card years later but it's just it's such a part of personal history and both of these shows have things on on shoot interviews and documentaries and all sorts of stuff talking about it but for me as a fan, I think we all had our own level of what we thought and What we expected and what we remember of those nights and everything, and again, it's impossible to remember everything for wrestling. I I've actually been starting a list of shows I've gone to just to remember who I've seen live, and a lot of people I forgot I saw live, and a lot you know I've seen a lot of people who are no longer with us. I've seen a lot of people, an indie show with like fifty people that are now on WWE or AEW or you know whatever that have become stars, and I got to be there for the. Arguably two of the biggest stars ever in the history of wrestling against each other. You know, like, I've been thankful for a few cool moments like that. But that's all for this week. I just want to take a trip down memory lane. I am recording next week's episode within the next couple of days. It will go live while... It might go live while I'm doing something else. But I don't know for sure yet. But that's a story for another day. But my schedule in the next couple of weeks is going to be a little weird. But I really want to get Hellene's Talks out there, and especially because, and I can't say what it is yet, but because of this podcast, I might be doing something cool later on, and it wouldn't happen if I hadn't done these episodes, which means do more episodes, you know. But thank you so much for listening. This has been Hellene's Talks. Please check out MassLibrary.com. That is my blog with thoughts on comics, wrestling, many other things. I try to update as often as I can, um... And, and sometimes I'm great and on their daily, and sometimes I fall off for a bit. Uh, also, this podcast is presented by the Retro Network. Go ahead and check out Retro Network. Tons of great podcasts, tons of articles. I should really start contributing to those articles again soon. I've had, a, I've had a crazy last year, not calendar year, but like last 12 months. And I need to get on the ball for some more writing here and get my name out there more. But thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for listening to this And you know what? If you want to leave a comment anywhere on social media or for this of wrestling shows you've been to in your own memories, please, by all means, do so. I would love to hear them.